Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Luke chapter number 9, and of course, we are in a series called Journey with Jesus, and we are making our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Gospel of Luke. And if you are uh, paying attention, you'll notice that we skipped uh, chapter, in, in Luke chapter 8, this morning we went up to, uh, to, up to verse 40, but we skipped verses 40 through 56, all right? We're in chapter 9 tonight, and uh, we're going to come back later to that passage in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56, so we're not going to skip it in our study, but we're going to skip it for now. We'll come back at another time. So if you're listening to this on YouTube or watching it on YouTube or on Sermon Audio or on our website, just stand by, all right? We, we didn't delete a file or anything. We're going to come back to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56 at a different time. Tonight, we're in Luke chapter 9, and uh, tonight we're going to see a little bit. In fact, in, in chapter 9, chapter 9 is really kind of a transitional chapter for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll, you'll begin to see that as we begin to work our way through the chapter over the next several weeks. But uh, we, we, what we see tonight is Jesus beginning to expand his ministry by involving others and by training others and sending others out. And specifically, we see him sending out the 12 uh, in this passage. You're there in Luke chapter 9, look at verse 1. The Bible says that he called his 12 disciples together. Remember, we saw earlier that he had many disciples, but out of those many disciples, he had chosen these specific 12, and he's going to now begin to work specifically with these 12 in order to get his work done. And we really see the expansion of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the discipleship of the ministry of Christ. And I'd like to give, just to give you three thoughts tonight as quickly as I can uh, from this, uh, this passage here, verses 1 through 10. And if you're taking notes, and of course I always encourage you to take notes, uh, maybe you can write these things down. The first thing we see here is the recruitment of the apostles. And we see the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is recruiting laborers. He's looking for workers to help him. And these, of course, are going to be the men that are known as the apostles. If you notice again there in verse 1, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And skip down just real quickly to verse number 10. If, if you'll notice, in verse 1, the Bible says that he called his 12 disciples together. And then in verse 10, after they come back from the mission for which he is recruiting them, the Bible says, and the apostles. So I want you to notice that these are called apostles, and of course, these are the 12. They're 12 disciples, and there's nothing wrong with calling them 12 disciples, but they're the 12 apostles. Uh, we'll learn later on in the Gospel of Luke that there's more than 12 apostles, but these are the main 12, the one that are referred to as the 12 chief, or sometimes just referred to as the 12. These are the 12 apostles that Jesus is recruiting for the ministry. Now, when we study the Bible, we, of course, the Bible says that we must rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, so when we study the Bible, we need to make sure that we understand what we're reading and what's going on here. Uh, so just as we begin tonight, uh, I want to make sure you understand that there are some things that are happening here that apply specifically only to the apostles. They're not things that really apply to you and I. And that's why I want you to notice there that when he called the 12 disciples, in, in, the, in this passage, at the end of the passage, they're referred to as the apostles. And, and I want you to understand that because there are some things that apply only to the 
apostles, and they're not something that you and I can claim necessarily ourselves. There are some things that apply to us, and we'll look at that, of course. But let me just highlight for you what applies only to the apostles, so that way you can just understand what we're studying here, and also so you're not uh, tricked by those who are using the Word of God to teach false doctrines. The first thing that we notice here that applies only to the apostles is the fact that they were given special powers by the Lord Jesus Christ, special powers that only applied to the apostles. Look down at verse 1 again, and he called the 12 disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Who did Jesus do this? He did this to the 12 disciples. He gave that power and authority to 12 disciples. In verse 10, we see that it's the apostles. So today, there are those who will teach that they have the power to cure diseases. They have the power to cast out devils. You've got the Benny Hens out there and the charismatic movement that says that they can do these things. But I want you to understand that in the Bible, this authority, this power was given to the apostles. He gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, verse 2. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God, notice, and to heal the sick. So it is the apostles who were given power and authority over all devils. It is the apostles who were given the ability to cure diseases and to heal the sick. Now keep your place there in Luke 9. That's our text for tonight. But let's just run a few cross-references real quickly. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you would. You're there in Luke. You're going to go past John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me just prove to you that these special powers applied only to the apostles. They applied only to the apostles, and they applied only for a certain period of time. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. And I've preached about this at other times when we've dealt with the apostles, especially in First and Second Corinthians, but let's just look at a couple of verses quickly tonight. 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 12. The Bible says, truly, this is the apostle Paul speaking, and notice what he says. He says, truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience. Notice these words, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. What, what is that referring to? The signs and the wonders and mighty deeds. These are referring to miraculous type things, to the fact that the Apostle Paul healed people, he resurrected people from the dead, he, he cast out devils, he did some miraculous things, and that was a sign, that was one of the signs of his apostleship, that he was an apostle, Lord Jesus Christ, because the apostles had been given the power to do these things, signs and wonders, and mighty deeds. Go, go to Mark. Go back to Mark, if you would. Mark chapter 16. If you go backwards, you got 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Acts, John, Luke, Mark. Mark is right before the book of Luke. Luke chapter, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 16. This is something that oftentimes people will ask me about, and, and especially newer Christians, they might think, you know, what about the signs, and what about the miracles, and, and, and what was this? What we have in the New Testament is that certain people were given the power uh, to be able to perform these miracles. But this is not something that just every Christian, every pastor, even today, has the ability to do. Because this was given to certain Christians in the New Testament in the first century. And the Bible tells us that this was done until the time that the Word of God was completed, until the writing of the Word of God was done. Mark chapter 16 Look at verse 20. The Bible says, And they went forth and preached everywhere. Notice what the Bible says. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. 
And of course, earlier in Mark 16, just a few verses before this, we see that some of these miracles are, are, are being uh, given and detailed in regards to the power that was given unto them. So I want you to understand that the Bible tells us that the Lord was working with them and he was allowing them to do these signs, to cast out devils, to heal people, to do these miracles because God was confirming the word with signs following. And of course, during this time, the canon of the Word of God was not complete. Of course, the New Testament, the Old Testament was written, but the New Testament was still being written at this time, and and in some instances had not even really started to be written. We, as far as we can understand, the New Testament was probably done. The book of Revelation, the last chapter, was written uh, before 70 AD. But once the canon of Scripture was completed, once the Word of God was done, the sign ceased, and the office of the apostles ceased because the apostles were given to us in order to write the New Testament, to write Scripture, of course, and then they were given signs to confirm the Word of God. So I hope that makes sense, that this is not something... So, by the way, there's no such thing as an apostle today. The office of an apostle has ceased. You say, how can you say that? Well, as you study Scripture, and again, I'm not preaching specifically on this subject. I, I've, I've studied, I, I, we, we've done studies on it uh, in the past, and in fact, I think we've done it recently. But as you study Scripture, it'll become very clear that the number one characteristic of an apostle or what made somebody an apostle was that they were hand-picked, hand-chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ, And we know that the Apostle Paul was the last to be chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was definitely the last. Jesus even made an appearing after his ascension. He made a special appearing and chose the Apostle Paul to be an apostle. Paul said that he was the last of the apostles to be chosen. So today, you've got these charismatics, and they'll say, I'm bishop this, and I'm apostle that. They're liars. They're not apostles. They don't have any power. Any power they do have is a devil inside of them. You know, to go back to our Sunday morning sermon, is, is, is a demon that is helping them uh, perform those miracles, uh, just like we see in the Bible. But there is no office of apostleship anymore, because to be an apostle, you have to be chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul was the last one to be chosen. And then they were given these special powers to confirm the word, to give credibility to the Word of God. See, today, as a preacher of the Word of God, I don't have to perform a miracle or do anything special to confirm the Word of God. The Word of God confirms itself. The Word of God gives itself credibility. I just have to stand up and preach the Word of God. My authority to preach the Word of God is the Word of God itself. But of course, Paul was writing the New Testament. Uh, These men were, uh, like uh, Peter and John, were writing portions of the New Testament, so they were given these special powers by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want you to understand that those special powers uh, were uh, applied only to the apostles. There's something else that applied only to the apostles. Go back to Luke chapter 9, if you would. Luke chapter 9. Not only at this time did Jesus give them special powers to the 12, but he also gave them special provision for the apostles. And that special provision was for the apostles only, and specifically for the 12 only. Luke chapter 9, look at verse 3. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, because Jesus is sending them out. I'll give you one guess what he's sending them out to do, to go soul winning. He's sending them out to preach the gospel. 
He's sending out the 12. He's recruited the 12, and now he's going to send them out to preach the gospel. And in that commission, he gives them special powers that only apply to the apostles, but he also gives them special provision that only applies to the apostles. Notice what he says here in verse 3. He said unto them, take nothing for your journey. He said, don't take anything for your journey. He says, neither staves, that would be like a staff or a stick, uh, a walking stick used to support yourself. He said, nor script. The word script is an older word that means like a small bag or a wallet. He says, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. He said, don't take anything with you. He said, I'm going to provide and, and give you what you need for this mission strip. Don't take anything with you. Now, you, you say, well, how do we know that that doesn't apply to us today? Well, we know that the powers don't apply for us today because Mark tells us that that was for the confirming of the word of God. And once the canon of scripture was completed, that was done away with. What about the provision? We'll go to Luke chapter 22. Because here's what's interesting about this story is that this story pretty much happens twice in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first time he sends out the 12, and then later on in his ministry, he does this again, but the second time he sends out the 70. And when he sends out the 70, he kind of changes things up because this whole special provision where don't take your wallet, don't take any money, don't take your script, don't take your bread, don't worry about it, I'm going to take it, I'm going to have special provision for you. That was only for the 12. Notice in Luke 22 and verse 35, here we have Jesus sending out the 70 and he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? So he asked, he's now asking the question, and he's referring back to Luke 9. He says, when I sent you out without a purse, without script, without your wallet, without and shoes, he said, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. But notice in verse 36, he changes it. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, that would be a weapon, he says, let him uh, sell his garment and buy one. So I want you to notice that he told the original 12, hey, don't take anything. And you say, what was the purpose of that? The purpose of that was to show them that where God guides, he provides. And God can provide for your needs, and God can, can take care of you when you're out there doing the work of God. But then he tells the 70, he says, but look, I can provide, but that doesn't mean that you ought not be prepared. So he says, look, that was just a special thing I did for the 12, just to make a point. He says, but for the rest of you, take your shoes, take your uh, sword, Take your uh, script, take your purse. So, of course, look, we should trust that God can provide for our needs, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't prepare. And, and that doesn't, you know, so when you go out soul winning, make sure you take your wallet, all right? Make sure you have identification. Uh, make sure you, if you've got a sword, take a sword. If you've got your, your concealed sword permit, um, make sure you have that with you in your wallet. And, you know, grab a water. We, we should prepare for ourselves. So these were kind of special things that God did for the apostles, these special powers that only applied to the apostles and the special provision that only applied for the apostles. I just want to be clear about that. Go back to Luke uh, chapter number 9. And let's look at what does apply to us in this story. And the first thing that applies to us is the fact that discipleship is really delegation within ministry. And the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is getting ready to expand right now. And the way that his ministry expands is the same way that any ministry expands, is by involving more people 
in the work of God. Look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority over the devils and to cure diseases. Verse 2, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. And look, I'm not making this up. Every time you read the Bible, it seems like every passage we go to into Luke, Jesus just like soul winning. Soul winning. And he's like, did I mention soul winning? I'm really into soul winning. And, he, and here we've got, he, he tells the, the demon of Gadara, go, go home and tell your family what great things I have done. Then in the next chapter, he has uh, a, here the 12, and he's like, hey guys, we're going to do a soul winning marathon. He called his 12 disciples together, verse 2, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. Of course, he gave them, he gave them special powers. He gave them special provision. But here's what does apply to us, and it's how the ministry works, and it is this, that, dis, that, that discipleship is really delegation into ministry. And, and, and we believe in discipleship, and we have a discipleship class. And I wrote the lessons for the discipleship class. We definitely believe in, 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 in teaching, but the purpose of teaching is that you might get involved. The purpose of teaching is for you to learn what God wants you to do, and then so you will do it. And I want you to notice how Jesus does this. Notice first that Jesus demonstrated. Now, we're there in Luke chapter 9, but just go back to Luke chapter 8 real quickly. Because what we're going to see the disciples do is we're going to see them preach the kingdom of God, right? Well, notice in Luke chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass afterward that he, referring to Jesus, went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Notice these words, and the twelve were with him. So first, we see Jesus himself. What is Jesus doing? First, Jesus demonstrated. It came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Notice, and the twelve were with him. Jesus is out there going to every city, every village, preaching and showing the glad tidings. What's the glad tidings? The gospel, the good news. He's preaching, and, he's, and then the Bible makes sure to tell us the twelve were with him. He had twelve silent partners. That was probably a big group, you know. They, maybe they took turns going up to the door with him. And of course, he's out there preaching, and he's doing public preaching services. Uh, he's talking to individuals, but the 12 are with him. Notice, the 12 aren't preaching the gospel. They're just with him. See, the first step in discipleship is demonstration. Jesus demonstrated to them what needed to be done. And look, if you're here tonight, and you say, you know, I'm here at Verity Baptist Church. I get it. You guys are really into soul winning. You know, and, and look, we are really into soul winning, but we're really into soul winning because Jesus is really into soul winning. It's not my fault that like every story, every chapter, just multiple times, he's like, go preach the gospel, go preach the gospel, go preach the gospel. But maybe you're here tonight and you're like, pastor, here's the thing though, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to get involved. Well, here's step one. You come with us and we'll just demonstrate. Amen. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. In fact, if you don't know what you're doing, no offense, we don't want you to say anything. You know, we want you to be a silent partner. Keyword, silent. And you know, oftentimes what I found, and, and look, you need to start, you make sure you, you do this. Whenever you have a new soul winner with you, obviously always be nice to them, but you should take some time to explain like, hey, here's how this works. I'm the speaker, you're silent. 
You don't, don't say anything. Because these, you know, these silent speakers, they're always like, oh, I'm not ready to preach the gospel. But then they want to just pipe in every few minutes and well, they'll give you their thoughts or their illustration. Look, it's, are you ready to talk? No. Okay, then be quiet. And, and look, and, and, this is, and it's okay. You say, it's okay for me to show up. You show up, by the way, this is why we run soul winning at Verity Baptist Church the way we do. This is why we have soul winning captains that make sure that the silent uh, uh, speakers get partnered with talkers so that you're not just out there not knowing what to do. We will make sure that you're partnered with somebody who knows what they're doing. They can talk. They, you, all, you say, what do I have to do? Just be with them. The 12 were with him. Just be there, be a silent partner. You say, well, what do I do? Here's what you do. You fellowship together. You know, maybe you're in a, in a neighborhood that's not receptive. Brother Joel and I were in a neighborhood that wasn't very receptive uh, yesterday, so we just spent a lot of time fellowshipping, you know, in between doors as we're knocking doors and people are telling us they don't, they're not interested. You, you can fellowship together. But when you do, when somebody does open the door and they want to hear the gospel and, and the partner you're with begins to preach the gospel, hey, silent partner, that's your time to pay attention, to, to watch, to pay attention, to see how they explain the verses, see what verses they go to. Of course, you ought to be silently praying in your mind, in your head uh, for your soul winning partner that's giving the gospel, for the person that's hearing the gospel. But look, step one is demonstrate. And look, we want to demonstrate for you how to do it. We want you to come out and you be a silent partner. And look, I've always, we've always had this philosophy at our church. We don't push people into doing something they're not ready to do. And, and look, please don't push these silent uh, soul winners to, 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 to do something, especially if they're really new, uh, to, to do something they're not ready to do. First, we see that Jesus demonstrated. But then, so in Luke 8, 1, he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. But then you get to Luke chapter 9, and we see the second step of, of discipleship. First, Jesus demonstrated, then the apostles participated. Then they got involved. Luke 9, look at verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. First he demonstrated, then they participated. And this is, look, by the way, this is how leadership works, just in general. Leadership is this. You show someone how to do it, then you help them do it. But first, we have to set the example. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you find all the T-books, they're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. 2 Timothy chapter 2. While you turn there, let me just read to you from Judges 7.17. In Judges 7.17, we have the story of Gideon. And Gideon is getting ready to take his 300 men into battle. And Gideon says, I, I love this verse. When it comes to leadership, I love this verse. It, it's, it's a quintessential verse for leadership. He looks at the men that are following, and the Bible says in Je Judges 7.17, And he, Gideon, said unto them, his followers, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come uh, to the outside of the camp, it shall be that, he says, As I do, so shall ye do. And that's what we should be doing. We should be looking at those that are newer Christians, those that are, we're discipling and helping them grow. And you say, what should we say? We should say, look on me and do likewise. Amen. We should first demonstrate. Jesus demonstrated. Then they participated. And by the way, 
This is called discipleship, and this is ministry. You say, what is the goal of Verity Baptist Church? The goal of Verity Baptist Church is to reach as many people as possible with the gospel, of course, get as many people saved, but then we also want to take as, get as many of those people involved in the work of God. Amen. That begins by first getting them to church, getting them baptized, getting them to come back to Wednesday night service, getting them to come back to Sunday night service. You say, why do you want them to come back Wednesday night? Why do you want them to come back Sunday night? Because at every service, the Word of God is being preached. And every time they're here, there's an opportunity for the Word of God to do a work in their heart and to help them grow. You say, well, what happens after they've been coming, they got baptized, they've been learning? Then we want them to get involved We want them to participate in the soul winning and not just the soul winning, in the serving and get involved in some area of volunteering. And look, this is what ministry is about. 2 Timothy 2, look at verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Notice, who shall be able to teach others also. That's the goal. Say, what's the goal of Verity Baptist Church? To raise up faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. To raise up faithful men who shall be able to teach others also in the sense that we can send them out to start churches, praise God. We've done a lot of that. But also just to have faithful men in our own congregation that are able to teach others also. I'm thankful that we've got men in this church that if I'm gone or on a trip or whatever, uh, they, they have the ability to stand up and preach the Word of God. They're faithful men. They know the Word of God. And they can fill the pulpit and preach. That's what the ministry is about. So delegation and discipleship go hand in hand. It's the only way to accomplish more in the ministry. It's the only way to do more for God, to get more done for God, to expand the ministry. You say, what do we need to expand Verity Baptist Church? We need you. We need you to get involved in the work of God. We need you. And we don't want to push you anything. You just, you just come along. Let us demonstrate, and then you can participate. So we see the recruitment of the apostles. But I want you to notice, secondly, tonight, you, I'm not sure where you're at. Go, go, go to Luke chapter 9. Not only do we see the recruitment of the apostles, but we also see the reception of the apostles. Because remember, Jesus sent them out to, you guessed it, go soul winning. And when he sends them out, he gives them some very specific instructions in regards to who to focus on and who not to focus on. Notice there in Luke chapter 9 and verse 4, And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. Now in Matthew, we have the same, we have a parallel passage where he gives us a, a, a little more details uh, Matthew does in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Go to Matthew if you would. Matthew chapter 10. You're there in Luke. Just go back to past Mark into Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. In Luke 9, he says, Whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide. In Matthew, we have the exact same story, a parallel passage. He gives us a little more detail. And here's what he's, he's teaching. He's saying, focus on those who are receptive. Yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, Brother Luke gave a soul winning challenge, and he talked about this in his soul winning challenge. And uh, I don't know why. He should have known that I was going to be preaching this tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, God must want us to hear this, right? I'm ripping off Brother Luke. But uh, in Matthew 10 and verse 11, notice what the Bible says. And into whatsoever city, this is the same parallel passage. We just get more details in Matthew 10. Notice what Jesus says to the disciples. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy 
and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, of course, he's talking about the people in the house, all right? I'm not talking about walking up to a building and saying hi. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. Notice, but if it be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. So notice, in Matthew, we get the details that as they were going, because remember, what are they doing? They're going out to preach the gospel. They're going out to preach the good tidings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, when you go out to preach the gospel, I want you to find the people that are worthy. I want you to salute people, kind of gauge people, and find the house that is worthy. And if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he wants them to focus on those who are receptive. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. You're there in Luke, past John, into the book of Acts. Acts 13. When you get to Acts, do me a favor. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Acts chapter 13. Sometimes people get confused by this word worthy because the way that we use the word worthy in our modern vernacular is when we say that somebody's worthy, we mean like they deserve it. Like, oh, this person's worthy of us. And that's definitely a way that it's used in the Bible as well. When someone's worthy, what we often mean by that is that they deserve something. So oftentimes when, the Bible, when people take these passages where Jesus says, hey, find people that are worthy, you know, that's where the Calvinists like to really say, see, not everybody's worthy of the gospel. And not everybody deserves it. Only certain people, the people that, that God really likes. That's not true because the word worthy in our King James Bible, and the way it's being used here, is it's defined as suitable or having the qualities suited to or suited for. It means appropriate or fitting or becoming. Now, let me just prove that to you. Acts 13, look at verse 42. Actually, you know what, let me, just, let me just say this. The overwhelming emphasis in the Bible is to focus on those who are receptive. Look at Acts 13, verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. So notice, the emphasis in the Bible is when you and I go out soul winning, we should be focused on finding people that are receptive, finding people that are interested, finding people. But you say, well, what about when it says worthy? Okay, keep your finger right there in Acts 13. Go back to Luke 9. Look at verse 5. The teaching of Jesus is to focus on whoever is receptive and to not worry about those who are not receptive. Look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 5. And whosoever will not receive you. Remember he said, if they will receive you, if the house is worthy, and if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return. Notice how from Matthew 13, uh, Matthew 10, 13 to Luke 9, 5, these words are being used uh, synonymously. They're worthy is being used synonymously with whether they will receive you or not. Luke 9, 5. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. So look, he says, if they don't receive you, what's your response supposed to be? 
If they won't receive you, is your response supposed to be to get angry, to get upset, to sit there and yell at them and tell them that they should be listening? No, no. He says, look, if they won't receive you, shake off the very dust from, off, from your feet and move on. He says, don't worry about those who are not receptive. Go back to Acts 13. Let me show it to you. Remember the word worthy? Acts 13, look at verse 45. We read verses 42, 43, 44. Look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, because remember, Paul and Barnabas are preaching to people that are receptive. The Gentiles besought that the words might be preached to them. Many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, and they were persuaded and then the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Notice verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, notice, and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul. Notice these words, contradicting and blaspheming. The word contradict or contradicting means to deny, to speak against, to say the opposite. So Paul is preaching and these Jews, they're contradicting Paul. They're saying, no, you're wrong about Jesus. No, you're wrong about your message. And they're blaspheming. They're speaking irreverently and speaking evil and slanderously about God. Look at verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you. Notice the words. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves Notice the word, unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So the word worthy and unworthy being used here in regards to the gospel. Who is it that decides who is worthy and unworthy? Is it some Calvinist who decides, no, you're worthy, you're unworthy, God loves you, he doesn't love you. No, no, the Bible says, Paul said, hey, you seeing ye put it from you, and ye judge yourselves unworthy. See, when the Bible says that we should focus on those that are worthy and focus on those that are unworthy, what we're supposed to do is let the people decide, are they worthy to hear the gospel? You say, how do you know if they're unworthy? If they're contradicting, if they're blaspheming, if they're not receiving, if they don't want to hear it, then they're unworthy. You say, who's worthy of the gospel? Anyone that will receive it. Who's, who's worthy of hearing the gospel? Anyone who wants to hear it, whosoever will may come. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. He says, look, I'll give it to anyone, anyone who wants it. Who's worthy? Anyone who wants it. And anyone who doesn't want it, that's their choice. They judge themselves unworthy. So notice what the Apostle Paul does. Look, notice Acts 18, here in another passage where people were unreceptive. Acts 18, look at verse 6. And I want you to notice the words. And when they oppose themselves. Again, it's not Paul saying, you're not worthy. He wants to give it to everyone. But they oppose themselves. Notice, and blasphemed. Notice what the Bible says. He shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own head. I am clean. From henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. This is when, when the Apostle Paul shook his raiment, that's the same idea, idea as what Jesus told the disciples when he said, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. 
And look, the, the idea, go to Titus, if you would, Titus chapter 3. If you kept your place in 2 Timothy, right after 2 Timothy, you have Titus, Titus chapter 3. I, I, I often tell people this. When we're out soul winning, you know, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And obviously, when we're out, we're out soul winning, we're fishing. But, you know, here's the thing. Obviously, we want to catch every fish. Every fish we can, we want to catch them. But we're, we're, we're out there, and really what we're doing as we're knocking doors is we're, we're looking for that right catch. We're looking for the one that's worthy. We're out, you know, I teach our soul winners, I teach all of you to ask the questions. You know, invite people to church and ask the questions. Do you know for sure if you died today or you're on your way to heaven? Based on whatever answer they give you, if they say no, you can say, well, you know, the Bible says you can be 100% sure. Uh, if they say yes, then we follow up with other questions to see if they're actually saved or not. But the point is this. We ask the question, hey, if I can show you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven, would you be interested in hearing it? And sometimes people will criticize me and say, well, if you ask the question, they might say no. And I, and I say to these people, yeah. That's the point. I don't want to sit there and waste my time giving the gospel to somebody for 15 minutes or 20 minutes who's not interested, who doesn't, who's not worthy, who has counted themselves unworthy, who doesn't care. Maybe they're just being polite. You know, and look, you can tell. When you're giving the gospel to somebody and they're on their phone, I mean, look, if, I, if I'm giving the gospel to somebody and I always ask people the question, hey, are you interested? Would you like to know? No. Hey, have a good day. When you decide you're interested, there's a QR code here. Scan it with your phone. It'll show you. But look, I'm looking for the person that's worthy. Amen. And, and look, and if I'm giving the gospel to somebody and they start, you know, they're just like on their phone. They pull out a newspaper. I mean, they're just yawning. I sometimes ask people like, hey, are you, are you, are you interested in this? Because look, I'm not some door-to-door salesman. I don't get a commission by getting a prayer out of you. Right. I'm already saved. Amen. I'm just looking for somebody who wants to get saved. So we have to focus on those who are receptive and don't worry about those who are not receptive. Now look, obviously we need to work at the gospel. If we can persuade, sometimes people, it's not that they're not receptive. They just have a lot of questions or they're just concerned or they don't know. And look, in those instances, we should stick with them and we should try to answer their questions and persuade them to enter into the kingdom of God. But look, don't force yourself on someone who just doesn't care. We don't, we don't believe in this you know, type of soul winning where you just like put your foot in the door and don't let them close it and just make them. You know, people think this is good soul winning. People have literally said to me like, well, the way I do soul winning, I knock on the door when they open, I just start preaching the gospel. And they, they got to stop me. It's like you are wasting your time. That is a waste of time. It's not, they're not worthy. If they don't care, look, that's not how Jesus taught soul winning. He said, focus on those that are receptive. If the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. Whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. They count themselves unworthy. So we saw, number one, the recruitment of the apostles. We saw, number two, the reception. Oh, I forgot to, I had you go to Titus 3, right? Look at verse 10. Titus 3.10. A man that is an heretic... After the first and second admonition, reject. So look, if you're preaching the gospel to somebody and they're, they're, and they're a heretic, they believe in some heresy and they're trying to like get you, if they're trying to evangelize you as much as you're trying to evangelize them, that's a problem. And look, somebody like that, 
they, they, they deny the deity of Christ, or they deny eternal security, or whatever. They, they believe you got to repent of your sins. You know, admonish them one time. Well, the Bible says something different than that. Let me show you. If they continue, admonish them a second time. And if they continue, you know, just it's, it's time to walk away. A man that is in heretic after the first and second admonition reject, look, some of you soul winners, you go out there and you spend an hour arguing with some Mormon or Jehovah's Witness and you're wasting your time. There might be somebody next door who actually wants to hear the gospel. So look, a man that is in heretic after the first and second admonition reject. And look, again, this is why we want you guys to come out so we can demonstrate and then you can participate. Just because they're asking questions doesn't mean that they're that they're a heretic. You know, maybe they grew up in a false religion and they've got a lot of questions. That's okay. So it's not like, well, I'm only going to answer two questions, then I'm done. Look, if they're asking questions, if, they've, if they're trying to think through stuff, if they're like, this doesn't make sense to me, talk to them. As, as long as they're receptive, talk to them. But you can tell the difference between, I don't really understand that, I didn't grow up in a, a church that taught that, and they're asking questions, there's a difference between that and then the person who's trying to, like, get you, get, get you, you know, their version of saved. So a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject is what the Bible says. So go, go back to Luke 9. Luke 9. We saw the recruitment of the apostles. We saw the reception of the apostles. Thirdly tonight, notice the report of the apostles. Like you notice that they went out. Luke 9 verse 6. And they departed. So they had, their little, they had a soul winning rally, right? They had their soul winning meeting. Twelve of them showed up. Jesus gave them a soul winning challenge. He says, go out there, find people that are worthy. If they're unworthy, don't worry about it. Then, verse 6, they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And the emphasis that I want to emphasize here is that they went out. You say, what is the difference between a soul-winning Christian and a non-soul-winning Christian? Here's the difference. One goes, the other one doesn't. That's it. The, the, the most important word that you'll find in the Gospels in regards to soul winning is this simple word, go. You don't have to turn here. I'll just read. Let me just read some verses for you. But you'll notice this word is emphasized, Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, go, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's one of the passages regarding the Great Commission. And what's the key word? Go. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, 19. Another passage with the Great Commission. Go! Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And Lord, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Here's another one. Matthew 22, 9. Go! Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. Here's another one. Uh, Matthew 10, 7. And as ye go... As ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 9, 60. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Luke 10, 3. Go your way. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. You know what Jesus keeps saying over and over to these people that he wants them to go so when You know what he says? He says, Go. 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 You say, What do I do? I want to be a soul winner. Just go. Go. I don't know what to do. Let us demonstrate. You be our silent partner. When you're ready, you can participate, but you got to go. 
You got to get involved. They just went. They departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel. I don't, I don't know about you. I just, I just love, as a pastor, I just love reading that verse. Jesus calls 12, sends them out, and they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel. Amen. I love it. I love that uh, on Saturday mornings we gather a group of soul winners and they depart and go through this town preaching the gospel. Amen. They went out. But I want you to notice they also came back, of course. Look at verse 7. Now, verses 7, 8, and 9 are kind of interesting verses. It seems like they're just kind of thrown in there. We're going to deal with those here at the end. But, but look, at, look at verses 7, 8, 9. Now, Herod, the tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him. And he was perplexed because that it was said of them that John was risen from the dead. And of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. Luke 9 and verse 10, and the apostles, when they were returned, told him, told Jesus, all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Now, we're going we're gonna to deal with the last part of verse 10 in, in our next sermon in Luke. But I want you to notice, they went, in verse 6, they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel. And in verse 10, the Bible says, and the apostles, when they were returned, told them all that they had done. And look, here's the truth. When you go, you will return rejoicing. Amen. Psalm 126, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read this for you. Verse 5, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Like, I'm here to tell you something. Oftentimes, we don't want to go. I understand that. Look, I don't... There's lots of times I don't want to go. And you've heard that. Many preachers say that. Many of you uh, 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 understand, understand that. But you know it's true. You don't want to go Saturday morning. You're tired. You're this. You're that. You don't want to go. But if you just make yourself go, you'll be glad you did. Amen. You'll be glad you went. Especially when you get somebody saved, they'll be happy you went. Amen. I mean, think about that. Amen. You chose to go, and as a result, somebody's eternal destiny changed. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So we saw the recruitment of the apostles and the reception of the apostles. We saw the report of the apostles. But I'd like to just, as we conclude tonight, just deal with these random verses, 7, 8, and 9. Because this passage, Luke 9, verses 1 through 10, it's, it's, a, it's a passage of scripture that all goes together. We've walked through it tonight. You have Jesus recruiting the 12. He gives them a soul-winning challenge about reception, and then he sends them out. They come back with their report. But in the mix of these verses, you've got verses 7, 8, and 9, which just kind of seem like they're kind of random. They're just thrown in there, and it just, it's about Herod. And it just kind of, you know, when, you're, when I was studying the sermon out, when I was writing the outline for the sermon, I was studying this passage, you know, I'm going through this. And I'm looking at verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 6, and I'm outlining it. I'm writing some, some thoughts, and I'm, 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 I'm putting it into an outline. I'm like, yeah, this all makes sense. You get to verse 10. It all flows together. But then you get verses 7, 8, 9. I'm just kind of like... What in the world is this? It's just kind of thrown in there randomly about Herod. But if you think about it, you realize that there's a reason. Look, everything in the Bible is in there for a reason. 
And you realize that there's a reason why it's just kind of randomly thrown into this passage about Jesus having a soul-winning rally with his 12 soul winners. But there's a reason why Luke throws this in there. Let's look at it. Luke 9, verse 7. Now Herod the Tatriarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed. The word perplexed means confused. Because that it was said of some, he, heard, he hears about Jesus, he hears about this guy who's performing miracles, casting out devils, preaching to crowds, training apostles. They're now going out preaching to crowds. They're now casting out devils. They're now healing people. And Herod hears about this, and he was perplexed. Here's why. Because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. And of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. So a lot of rumors are going around about who Jesus is. And one of the rumors is, because John is dead, that John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Now, why would this perplex Herod? It perplexed Herod because of the fact that Herod killed John the Baptist. Look at verse 9. And Herod said, remember, why is he perplexed? He said, John have I beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to hear him. Now, just real quickly, go back to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And look at verse 19. You say, why is it that, that Herod beheaded John? I think it's funny because people often criticize preachers like me or, or, or my friends, the new IFB, whatever you want to call it. And they'll say, why do you guys have to preach all these controversial things? Why do you have to preach against the politicians and preach against sin and preach against adultery and preach against the LGBT? Why can't you guys just preach the gospel? You know, why can't you just be like Jesus and the New Testament? Well, look, John was in the New Testament. He literally started the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he got killed. Now, John was getting people saved. John was baptizing, but you know what he's also doing? He's also preaching just the righteousnesses of God. He, he, and, and he was calling out Herod for being a wicked man, and it got him killed. Luke 3, look at verse 19. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by John for, for Herodias as his brothers, Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. So Herod was reproved by John. John throw, Herod throws John into prison and then eventually kills him and has him beheaded as a result. So look, if, if you're like, well, you guys get too much persecution, you know, you got too many people against you. Well, we're just New Testament Christianity. They didn't like John either. They didn't like the hard preaching of John either. And as a result of this, Jesus obviously does not like Herod. Go to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Look at verse 31. You know, Herod kills John the Baptist. But then, John, then Jesus comes on the scene, and now Herod is like interested in who is this? He says, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And the Bible says, and he desired to see him. Herod wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to, to know what, what was going on with Jesus. In Luke 13 and verse 31, the Bible says, The same day there came a certain uh, of the Pharisees saying unto him. So here we have a Pharisee coming to Jesus and saying unto him, Get thee out, 
and depart hence. So this is a little time after, obviously, Luke 13 is a little past Luke 9. Here we have a Pharisee telling Jesus, you need to get out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. So now Herod wants to kill Jesus. Notice Jesus' response to this threat from Herod, verse 32. And he said unto them, go ye and tell that fox. Now, I don't know what that means, but I, it's not a compliment. You know, he's like, he, he, I mean, this is because Herod sends a message to Jesus, get out of town or I'm going to kill you. And Jesus said, here's my response. Go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils. I do curses today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. So it's pretty obvious that Jesus does not like Herod. And the reason that Jesus doesn't like Herod, go to Luke 23. Luke 23 is, of course, the fact that Herod killed John the Baptist. But it's more than that. It's the fact that Herod is a reprobate. You say, how do you know that Herod is a reprobate? Luke 23, look at verse 8. Remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate and, he, and Pilate found out that he was from Galilee, Pilate sends Jesus to Herod to stand before Herod because he was of the district of Herod. Luke 23 and verse 8, we have the Lord Jesus Christ who's about to be crucified standing before Herod. Luke 23 verse 8, And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. For he was desirous to see him of a long season. And we read that in Luke 9. He wanted to see him. In Luke 13, he's threatening to kill Jesus because he wants to see Jesus and Jesus won't come to him. So then he gets mad. He says, well, God, he's going to kill you. And Jesus says, go tell that fox. And again, I don't know what that means, but, you know, if I ever call you a fox, it's not a good thing. All right. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. And he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him, notice, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Herod is treating Jesus like he's some sort of a circus act. Like, oh, can, can, you, can you do a miracle? I want to see you perform a miracle. Look at verse 9. Then he, Herod, questions with him, Jesus, in many words. So, so Jesus comes to Herod, he does, not because he wants to, because Herod's been wanting Jesus to come for a long time, and Jesus won't come. But now he's under arrest. They bring him to Herod. Herod is happy. He's hoping he's going to see a miracle. He questioned with him in many words. So he has a lot of questions for Jesus. He's trying to talk to Jesus. Notice the last part of verse 9. But he, Jesus, answered him nothing. I mean, think about that. Here you have a man who's happy to see Jesus, and he's asking a bunch of questions, and Jesus does nothing to him. You say, why would Jesus say nothing to him? Because he's a reprobate. You say, why is this thrown into the mix, this thing about Herod into the mix in this soul-winning challenge of Luke 9 through 10? Here's why. Because as a soul-winning church, our job is to go out and to preach the gospel to people that are worthy and want to hear it and are receptive, but don't lose fact, don't lose uh, 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 the fact and the idea that there are some people who we don't want to preach the gospel to. Herod is thrown in the mix because we're reminded that one of the things that Herod goes down in history for is that Jesus is brought to him and Jesus answered him nothing. Jesus did not preach the gospel to him. I mean, Jesus preached the gospel to Nicodemus. Jesus preached the gospel to the woman at the well. Jesus preached the gospel 
to lots of people, but when he's brought before Herod, Herod wants, you know, he's forced to be there. Herod's asking him questions. Herod's really interesting, and Jesus does nothing to him. Why? Because there are some people that have crossed a line with God, and it's too late, and we shouldn't even try to get them saved. We shouldn't even preach the gospel to them. Now, obviously, you know, if you're not sure if someone's a rapper or whatever, I mean, you know, obviously we should try to give the gospel to people. Uh, but, but when you know someone's a reprobate, you know, you say, what would you do? I would answer them nothing. So that, I believe that that's the reason that this is thrown. It's kind of randomly thrown into this passage because it's like, hey, remember the fact I want to preach the gospel to many people who are worthy. But also don't forget the fact that there are some people who Jesus didn't want to give the gospel to who had crossed the line with God, they were reprobates. And even when brought before Herod, he answered him nothing. That's why I had to have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture, these 10 verses uh, that we can learn a lot of soul-winning principles from, uh, learn uh, principles about making sure that we're uh, preaching the gospel to people who are worthy and receptive, and, and of course, the value of going and coming back with a good uh, testimony, but uh, also the lesson from Herod that there's just some people who we don't need to preach the gospel to. They're done. They could have been saved, but they rejected God, and God rejected them. And once God's done with them, there's nothing that we can do for them. And we see that in the relationship that Jesus had with Herod, where he just chose not to even say anything to him because there was no point. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to just understand these things, learn these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right.